Hello! Welcome to Why Not Both, the podcast all about how our multiple passions and interests shape our identity and our lives. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I am a musician and therapist in Los Angeles, and I also happen to be your host. This podcast is produced by Laura Studeris, and for this season, we've partnered up with Under the Radar magazine. If you like what you hear, you can hang out with us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at WNB, the podcast. And if you really, really like what you hear, please support us on Patreon. We are under Why Not Both podcast. When you join our Patreon, you get a whole bunch of really cool behind the scenes stuff and you get to chat with us. And that's pretty awesome. Thank you so much for your support and I hope you enjoy our interviews. For this week's episode, we got to interview Baby Fuzz, who's an extraordinarily talented musician as well as producer. We kind of hopped straight into the weirdness, which is really my favorite style. So I hope that you enjoy. But one of the people in my building decided that this was a really great time to do home improvement. <laughs> um, and they were really stoned and they shot a nail gun through a pipe. Ooh. You could turn it into like an ASMR sketch, you know, just be like hissing pipes, hissing pipes, hissing pipes, like yes. at like the binaural effect. Yeah. Oh my god, ASMR is such a whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think it's I think it was like a phase. I think it was like Pogs or uh, oh, Pogs. Pokemon oh Pokemon Go, you know. Oh my god, and slap bracelets. Did you ever have any slap bracelets? Oh yeah. <gasps> those are the most satisfying like sound and feeling just like whoever designed those I'm like well done for that sensory experience yeah it, it was like exciting when you do it to yourself but terrifying if somebody else tried to do to do the slap bracelet on you yeah like sometimes it would hurt a lot if they yes. were doing it hard yeah it's like inverse tickling it's like you can't tickle yourself but like someone else can it was almost for me at least it was that horrifying element of surprise even if it like didn't hurt hurt I was more yeah. just like like stunned by it indeed <laughs> welcome to why not both where we'll attack you with slap bracelets yeah <laughs> sounds like sounds pretty kinky i'm pretty sure if they started doing that uh, in like an s&m context it would be really huge oh my god like this this, <laughs> this slap bracelet room welcome to the slap bracelet room the slap bracelet dungeon Combine like <laughs> 90s nostalgia and like traditional BDSM. Yeah. <laughs> or somebody just like hits you with a slammer pog like right <laughs> on your face. What would be the soundtrack in this room? Uh, Hannah Montana or <laughs> what? High School Musical. The original. Oh, wow. I think we've really painted a scene here. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> I don't know if I'd participate, but I'd I'll vanilla. I'll watch it. I would bear witness to this. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta turn your phone in before you enter the room though, of course. You know. Oh my god, yeah. Oh my god. Well, because at events, don't they have like Faraday cages now for phones? Like there are certain events where you just like literally have to stick your phone in, in one of those? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I haven't been yet, but I think that that's the seems to be the the standard protocol modus operandi mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at the uh, at the slap bracelet <laughs> snm events so in the after times this is what's going to happen yes in the in the in the retro 
Oh my. You know, because the because like leather S and M scene is a retro thing, anyways. It's like fifties retro, yeah, through like yeah. an eighties eighties portal context kind of thing. So maybe you know, in some future, in like a few decades, maybe there'll be kind of this like retro weird, not weird, but you know, it's retro kind of kink thing with slap with bracelets. bracelets. Well, yeah, because like especially, I mean, the video you just made also tapped into kind of like all of these past future time tropes so i'm like this is actually like bizarrely appropriate to what you just made uh, <laughs> it's like i don't know how we arrived there but like good job us. Okay. <laughs> yeah it's a theme with me i'm I, i'm very nostalgic as a person i'm always like thinking and dreaming about my childhood but in the same way i'm also futuristic i like to think about the future and i guess you know, for that song or like stuff of, for that song in particular is like what the future feels nostalgic because it's the future feels more like the past than the future sometimes. Mm. It feels like you're going backwards sometimes. If if like, you know, we think of the future as like this holy grail is like, oh, flying cars. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, you get you get there and it's like complete incompetence and it's just like <laughs> a shit show. And, you know, that that is kind of like the idea with that song is this like low brow statement about like, Oh, well, you know, Epcot center and you go inside and it's just like monkeys throwing shit at each other. Basically. Yep. I feel like that's like, so 2020 where everyone's like, what's going to happen in 2020? Cause it sounded futuristic. And it's like, um, and- yeah, actually, yeah, <laughs> actually, no. Yeah. It's like the, uh, it's like a touring circus, like a really bad circus. Yeah, like were you still in California? I don't remember which month it was when we had the fires that were so bad that like literally it blotted out the sun at one point. Uh, I was in and out. Yeah, I try to I try to get out when the fires come for fire season. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I drove through one of the smoke storms or whatever. Oh, it's, yeah, I'm very aware of the fires. It's it was like a wild couple years now. The last few years, it's been insane it was I guess the, super, super yeah. this year was bad too this year was this year was actually the worst even though it didn't feel like it in in la it was the worst overall fire season yeah, yeah. ever well yeah because there were definitely that was like such a weird time period because they'd like reopen trails so you could actually go hiking which like i was super excited about because that's like my favorite thing to do outside um but then it was like don't go outside you can't see the sun you can't breathe but also like don't be inside with anybody else so just like maybe hide in the closet question mark (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's uh yeah yeah that's one of the reasons i left around the beginning of fire season i left california i went to texas then that's why i was strategic at that point like i actually will migrate based on catastrophes which is kind of scary but that's what I'm resorting to at this point trying to you know it's kind of like human migration 101 but yeah I I, I do that occasionally yeah that is very it feels like weirdly primal yeah it feels all right I'm okay with it it (laughs) it actually it feels pretty natural to do that I guess a lot of old people do it with weather already Mm -hmm. you know kind of like snowbird types like my parents Mm will migrate seasonally due to bad weather Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's pretty human nature to do that. 
Well, I mean, for lack of all else, it seems to be working pretty well for you. Yeah, I guess I like moving around. I've been doing it for like four or five years now where I'll just stay in a place for a few months or six months or whatever feels right. And then depending on my like social situation also, and then I will just pick up and go somewhere else. Um, and then tour, uh, last year I was like touring on the road for most of the year. So it felt, you know, that kind of a lifestyle is, is fine because then there's nothing tying me down in terms of mm -hmm. like, oh, I got to pay rent somewhere or whatever. Right, 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 right. Uh, so like the transient kind of nomadic thing is, is kind of like what I've been doing for, for a second here. Um, but yeah, it's kind of it's kind of cool. I've seen most of the country at this point uh, outside of Alaska and Hawaii. Oh, wow. The, lower, the 48 lower contiguous states, I have spent time in all of them, been to all of them, and got a pretty good sense of like America or the United States and like what's, you know, people are like in each area. Oh, I got you covered. I've actually been to Hawaii and Alaska, but not the majority uh, of the other states. So I was like between the two of us, yeah. <laughs> we've got, we've this got it covered. Off. We've got it covered. <laughs> That's, I'm curious how that impacted your writing process as well as being nomadic because like when you're, especially when you're collaborating with other people, I'm really curious about like where you record your music and also how that traveling did impact what you've put out this year. Right. So the, when I'm traveling, like it depends what, what, if I'm working on an album or if I'm working on new music or if I'm not. So I'll, I'll mm -hmm. go through phases of like a year where I'm like recording new material. Mm -hmm. um, so like this year was a recording year for me. I was obviously not on the road playing any shows. So I was recording and what I will do when I'm, when I'm doing that, if, if I am traveling at the same time, I'm not traveling a lot when I'm recording, I'll, I'll stay in a place like a few months and then move mm -hmm. on or like a month maybe. But I have all my gear in my van. Oh. And then I will, it's kind of like a mobile recording setup. It's not tons of gear, but it's like a couple of guitars, a keyboard, my computer, speakers. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'll go somewhere and I'll set it up. It takes like half a day to set it all up, set it up, and then I'll just record there for a while. And then at a certain point after a few weeks or a month, I kind of start to lose steam and yet just have problems focusing. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like it's a, it, I don't know why that is. I don't know if I just get bored or like, it just seems like when I'm in a new place, I'm much more productive. That's and then af after a while, I'm, I get into these habits or routines and then I, I'm not very productive anymore. And it get, gets harder and harder to work on music. So mm -hmm. in order to like force myself to get songs done, I've resorted to like forcing myself to move around in order to maintain some level of, um, uh, like keeping myself focused it's mm -hmm. really bizarre maybe I should just take Adderall but I mean that's <laughs> kind of what I'm doing instead that's so funny I feel like ADHD comes up in every one of my interviews and I'm like is it me is it that everyone else has ADHD too um because when you're I, saying, go on sorry yeah I don't think I'm not sure really I, I'm very focused and I think maybe that's the problem for me it's like I'll get really focused on certain things and then they will distract me from actually working on music sometimes. So I think when I'm, when I'm not like 
I move around in order to keep from hyper-focusing too much on one specific location. So it might actually be the opposite of ADHD. I'm not sure. Well, that's actually, I was like, that's funny you say that. What's interesting is that ADHD, I really feel like it should just be called like attention inconsistency or attention different direction disorder. Um, Is that what you're describing, like hyper-focus is actually a feature of ADHD. Um, It's just that you can't always control where your hyper-focus goes. And it sounds like you've actually figured out a really good way to kind of find the dopamine on-ramp onto working on music um, by moving around a lot. Because like hyper-focus can focus on like anything. It's just that you sometimes don't, uh, like with ADHD brain, you can't like direct the laser essentially. Sometimes a laser pointer just makes a light show and you're like, oh crap. (laughs) You're like, I wanted to go this other way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's a little hack that works for me for now. I I don't know how long it'll keep working, but it's something I started doing the last few years that kind of helps. I don't know if, I think my my situation is more of like autism spectrum than ADHD. Mm -hmm. Possibly. I don't want to like incorrectly self-diagnose, but yeah, I think I'm somewhere on the, mm-hmm. autis- on the autistic realm of things. Um, there's, there's probably not, yeah. probably not full blown, but like definitely there somewhere. There's a huge overlap actually. And they've been researching that ADHD might in fact be a spectrum disorder. Interesting. Yeah. I will, after I'll call, I'll send you resources and memes. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot of similarities, actually, um, particularly in like sensory processing, focus, emotional regulation, like all sorts of stuff that like overlap a lot between like spectrum and ADHD. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess, yeah, it's something that people have told me before that might be true, but I've never really felt like it was such a, I've, ne- I've never really been like, oh, well, let me f- figure out if there's something wrong here, not that there's something wrong, if, if this is like a condition that I, is, that I have, but I don't, I've never really felt like the desire to really figure that out. I've always just been like, well, I'll just adapt, you know, mm-hmm. and I really try not to compare myself with other people too much because, you know, it's just like, then it becomes like abnormal, it's just normal, you know, which I don't feel like is a healthy no. thing to be be asking yourself so i i kind of it hasn't been like super problematic for me in my life and with relationships it definitely has but outside mm-hmm. of that realm like it's worked out pretty well so i feel like uh you know i've i've been able to kind of like ignore it for the most part <laughs> <laughs> neurodivergence it's i mean it's it's one of my favorite topics frankly um is that like in a way like the world is built for neurotypical people, but neurodivergence really, it's something that can bring out different aspects in creativity and in relationships and all sorts of stuff that it's not, it's strange to me that it's categorized as a disorder because it's it's only a disorder in the system that we've built for people yeah. typical. Um, yeah, it's a lot of it's relative to society as well, yeah. if you think about it, or, or kind of our norms for interaction. Yes. Um, in, in certain, in previous cultures or other societies, maybe those wouldn't be abnorms. Maybe they would be more, you know, who knows? But I, I just think that, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Because when you're talking about like moving around, like I was curious how that impacted your creativity and like the oh, way yes. you explained that was so interesting. And I was also like, oh, I wonder how that would affect also the like your collaborations and your personal relationships because that's yeah. a lot of struggle. 
Yeah. So, yeah. So that was like technically how, you know, the process was, was what I was explaining. But uh, the second part of that, as you asked, was how that affects the actual, the personal life. Yeah. It's a struggle, but you know, you do meet people who are like ah, travelers or work, you know, it's getting better because now more people are like working from their laptop or they can work yeah. anywhere. So it's a lot easier now than it would have been five years ago. And yeah. that's the same for me. Like, before I had to be in a certain city to work on music because like that's where all the people lived who are musicians or that's where the music industry quote unquote is based. Now it's like that doesn't re I mean, it does exist, but also at the same time, like you don't have to be in New York or LA or Nashville to right. be, a, be a musician anymore. Like you can collaborate on the internet with people all over the world and just release songs yourself over the internet. And that's kind of, for me is like okay well I'll just go wherever then right that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at with it um and then sometimes I will go to like you know more of like a home a bigger city for music for a while just to kind of like regroup or find people to collaborate with and and just right. so I'm not completely off the map in terms of like writing uh songs and and having that the traveling informing that it informs it a hundred percent. And like, that's one of the best things about it. Um, especially with, with touring last year and getting to see like basically every state in the country is that directly informs like the songwriting, like people you meet mm -hmm. experiences um, and, and just like talking to people and getting their narratives and their, their experiences definitely informs your songwriting more than anything so I think that's that's actually cool like a lot of songwriters who exist in bubbles and mm -hmm. like their songwriting bubbles in LA or wherever they live um, I think it's a little harder for them to um, unless they're really good unless they're they're writing about like their own experiences solely but if you're mm -hmm. writing like narrative songwriting sometimes which I do occasionally mm -hmm. or like a song about somebody else's point of view mm -hmm. which I like to do as well it's really uh, useful to, to, to get your traveling in and just meet as many people as you can because I think it informs your decisions in trying to make um, like an accurate, a seemingly like accurate sonic version of like somebody's potential point of view. Right. Um, it, it, it doesn't feel canned, you know what I mean? Do you think that people get that some of your songs are narratives because in a lot of ways, like there's the whole trope of if you're the person singing it, that it's a personal experience. And I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but sometimes uh, audiences don't always understand that. <laughs> and they're like, oh, so you've experienced this. And you're like, no, I'm telling a story. <laughs> like, yeah, I think, yeah, it just depends. I try to, um, sometimes they are experiences. And then sometimes I just they're too corny and so I'll just remove my like initially when I write the song sometimes it's real a real experience that I felt and then either I'll like put it on steroids and just like make it much more extreme than what the actual experience felt like just mm -hmm. for the sake of effect yes or then I'll later like remove myself as the main character and have somebody else in my head as like the main character singing the song right. and so maybe that's just kind of avoiding truth but that's kind of something I do to keep things fresh for me well and it also sounds like I like that in a way you start writing it from one perspective but then see another person's perspective in it and write from theirs and like all of a sudden the protagonist shifts and even like in a way dramatizing or mythologizing things which like 
I remember the first time my parents saw me play live, like afterwards, my dad like asked me, he's like, sweet pea, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> it's like neither my neither my parents are songwriters or huge music appreciators, and I love that. Um, but like I think that there's truth in the emotions in songs, but it's really good for people to know that it's like it's not always like it, it's like based on true events. <laughs> Where, <laughs> Yeah, some, I mean, some, sometimes it is, you know, and I think what the actual true event always, though, is the writing process and mm -hmm. the, for me, I mean, music is therapy for me. I don't have a therapist. I don't, I've never had one, but I've, you know, I've said I've had music and that's kind of my tool that mm -hmm. I use. Um, and so the writing of the song, at, by the end of the song, that's kind of the end of the, of the session, you know, it's the end mm -hmm. of the process for me. And once that process is over, I don't really like to revisit that. It's because I'm like moved past it and I'm over mm -hmm. it and that's healthy for me. Mm -hmm. instead, of, instead of reliving that same moment over and over again, I'll change the context of the song for the listener and create a character or be like, oh, this is from the point of view of, you know, toxic male, toxic masculinity, or, you know, whatever is the case for each individual song. That way I can kind of justify it. That way I don't have to relive that song yes. over and over again and get stuck yes. in, pa in patterns, you know, and it's like, that way it, it makes it like a healthy experience, like recording and, and releasing songs. And, you know, songs I wrote 10 years ago are embarrassing. Like, I can't listen to them. because I, I No, you know, like, I mean, they're cool, but not really, you know, <laughs> when I think about like the way I felt then it's valid and it makes sense. Um, but with that experience in between there, it is embarrassing to think about like thing, ways you thought about ways you thought about life like years ago. Yes. And so in order to like reconcile who you used to be and who you are currently, um, I just embrace it and be like, okay, yeah, that's, that's who I was back then. And I've changed. Um, but in order to keep that, be able to still sing those songs, I, I make like kind of mechanisms and, and mm -hmm. characters and stuff to like make them relevant still, I guess, for me. Right. Cause especially if you're performing them, you do want to feel it. But if you are like, wow, I'm very divorced from that feeling. It's like, you have to create like right. a, or something that holds it. Well, what I do is I, I'll like just self-deprecate, you know, and that's the whole deal is like old songs that I, I, I'm embarrassed about how, who I was when I wrote that song. I will just self-deprecate the song and, and play it as like some sad character. You know, if I'm on, if I'm playing a show live, I'll, I'll turn into like an aging rocker and, and just be like, make fun of myself, which is, you know, also a truth. But like, yeah, that's, those are just like, fun things to do to play with I guess how does that affect when you're producing someone else's song or when you're writing with someone else uh that's like a different process to me it's like that's like selling a used car I mean <laughs> you know it's like a, here's this idea that's I've had you know, here's this car you know I've driven it already you know I wrote this idea maybe for me or it's been sitting around for a year it's like, it's totally like, it's totally like a brand new car. Like you should buy it. It's got no miles on, nobody's heard it, you know, but it's still not a new car. It's still a used car at the end of the day. Oh my God. And so, you know, when I release my own music, it's way better. Cause it's like, this is a brand, 
This is a brand new car. Nobody's <laughs> nobody's driven this before. You know. Oh, I've never thought of um, my ideas like that before, and that's a hilarious way to frame it. I just sent an instrumental to one of my friends because, like, I've tried writing several vocal lines over it, and it just like didn't land. And so I'm like, maybe this is for someone else? Question mark. Like, I like what I was doing instrumentally, but like none of the yeah. melodies I was writing worked. And so I was just like. I'm gonna see what she does with it um but that's hysterically funny to think that I'm just like oh my god did I just send my friend a used car yeah I mean it's usually it's more of a collaborative process like if you're if you have an actual collaborator um but kind of like the world I was in for years which was like ghostwriter pop pop song for hire almost world yeah it, it is very collaborative don't get me wrong but like after a while it began to feel as if like I had these quite personal ideas or, or song concepts and lyrics and after a while it began to feel like you're kind of just it just felt icky you know mm -hmm. it feels icky you know and, and I just feel like more truth and maybe just putting some of these songs out myself you know because it just yeah. feels more real now if somebody like wants to record a song that I've written or or whatever I'm totally cool with that because they can reinterpret and and find a new meaning in that um but yeah i just i just haven't been doing a lot of collaborative songwriting for the past few years in general mm -hmm. i'm just not in that zone where i feel like it um i just feel like i'm getting i'm writing better songs now than i've written ever uh and they're not pop pits and nobody listens to them but i just feel really good about the quality of the lyrics and everything so i'm, I'm just like gonna keep doing this for a bit um you just spoke to something that's interesting that you're like they're not pop hits but they're better songs and you feel better about them and it's like it's weird when you think about what's a better song and it's like is it better because of intrinsic value to you or intrinsic value to the audience or like it's strange to think about like well what makes a good song yeah i i mean the production quality is not as high the mixing quality is not as high like a lot of stuff isn't as good objectively you know not not from a personal level but i i you know, maybe it is personal value, but I think objectively some of the songs I'm writing now are technically better songs than I was writing for like pop singers. I do think that. And maybe that's not true, but I, it's just hard to gauge that sometimes because we define quality of music by like how well it does sometimes and how right. listeners react to it or whatever. Um, but yeah, I just, I just feel strongly about some of it. Uh, and I, you know, sometimes it takes, sometimes things don't like happen right away with stuff you, you work on. Sometimes it needs to like ferment a little bit. Yes. Yes. Like you said, like the intrinsic value of songs, like, do you feel at all drawn to producing other people's work right now? Cause you did a lot of that too. Um, yeah. Producing versus writing is, uh, for me, a different part of your brain. So at, from my experience, when I'm writing, um, producing is like math to me. You know, it's like sonic math where it's like, oh, this is working because the frequency is this and this, and then you can tweak things based mm -hmm. on on EQs. Or there is creativity to production, but I come at it more from like a mixing angle where it's a little oh, more math mathy. You know, I'm not like in there making a beat and being like, oh, this is fire. You know, that's not me. I'm more like very um logically approaching something as to like 
how to make it sound better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the songwriting portion of it, that's more of like the creative world where I'm like, you know, trying to find magic. Um, and so f- collaboratively producing is actually uh, more of like feeling like somebody's hiring you to, you know, do a job or something. It feels more of like a less, that's even less collaborative in a way to me. Um, but I don't know. Those are just my experiences. I've never like worked on a, on a band with like their whole album. I thought, I think that would be really cool, mm-hmm. you know, to go in for like a few months and do an album with a band. Um, I just never really got the opportunity to do that for like a band I was excited about. So it producing for me, was always like do one song or something. Mm-hmm. And it's always hard to find, you know, the context in that. Well, it sounds like in some ways it's hard to like, when you're talking about like collaborative writing, that's very different, but it's hard in production work to really delve into knowing the person in a way and knowing even like kind of the impetus for the song if you're working on just one song instead of an EP or an album. Yeah, well, I guess I got really good at inhabiting other people's point of view as a songwriter. That's something I was really good at um, and still am. When, you know, was approached with like working with somebody, whoever it was, let's say it's like, let's say it was Madonna. I would take a, a few weeks before the session and try to like dive into like what her point of view is mm-hmm. in the world or like, and just, it, you know, it's very hard to do just not knowing somebody at all or not ever meeting them. Yeah. But usually like even in a songwriting session, I would just try to set aside the first hour or something to kind of like distractingly bullshit them just to get a sense of like what they thought about certain things or mm-hmm. instead of diving right into like writing a lyric, I felt like it was important to like get a sense of who they were as an artist and a person just to inform the possible, the song point of view a little more. Um, and yeah, if I was writing for somebody with somebody for like a week or more, I would try to do a lot more um, kind of like scout work, scouting almost to try to like figure out what was going on with, with their point of view. Um, yeah. Producing also is the same. It's like, you have to support that with the production and and do a good job of like, of, of supporting that, I guess. Yeah. Um, and now I, now I don't have to do that as much anymore. I'm not, you know, I haven't been like doing a lot of that kind of work for three or four years now. So it's mostly, if I want to inhabit somebody else's point of view, I'll just create a character in a song and do the same thing. Got it. That's very meta. Cause yeah, like thinking about like the stuff you've released as baby fuzz, it is interesting. Cause you can see in your videos, like these different characters come out and it's really fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm always big on, I know one of the themes of your podcast is dealing with identity. And I think mm-hmm. that's been a, a theme throughout my whole career where like, you know, back in the day, a lot of music producers would invent these kind of caricatures or like alter egos as like, you know, Timberland or whoever, uh. you know, and that's, that's been a thing for when I got into the music industry, that was a thing. And so me and my first production partner, we, we invented this like alter ego group called Robopop. And so like, <laughs> I've always kind of had this thing where it's like, oh, let's, if once that identity kind of like ran out I would make a new one you know kind of alter ego pseudonym type thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that 
that that alter ego is not necessarily who you are. It's just kind of, you know, and for a lot of artists, that's the same way. They create this brand or this alter ego, you know, even if it seems like it's authentic, sometimes it's like slightly different than who they are as a person. Well, and it's, it's interesting that you bring that up. I was talking to another friend about this, that there's so many like, you know, like courses online about like how to be an artist and all this different stuff. Um, but a lot of what they emphasize for branding specifically is to like pick different adjectives that are true to you, but essentially kind of like amp up or focus on a few of them, which is not the totality of you. It's almost like taking little bits of you, like little parts of the spectrum and really amping them up, which in a way creates a character that is based on truth. Like it is based on parts of you. Um, but it creates this almost like avatar of you. I find it fascinating and strange. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, that seems like a pretty good, pretty good way to think about it. Um, it, it is, you don't have to do that, but I think it's, it's useful to have that in a lot of ways, because then if you're writing a song for yourself, you're not writing a song for yourself. You're writing a song for your avatar. Yeah. Cause I'm like, you know? how, how would and, you describe going? And that's useful for several reasons. One of which is you can then separate yourself from your avatar and look at your songs and your art more critically. And mm -hmm. it's like, oh, this song is not good. Like I know that even though I wrote it and my avatar is singing it so I can like, I can look at things more critically. And that's why I do that personally. Mm -hmm. um, or it just also takes away some of the kind of, um, like the, the, the person, the, uh, what's the word? Like if somebody is doesn't like your song, it doesn't hurt. It, you don't care really. Whereas like if you are fully inhabiting every lyric of your song, it's like painful if somebody doesn't like it. You're like, oh, yeah. you know, it doesn't doesn't feel good. You get a bad review or whatever. Um, if it's just this avatar, then it's like eh, whatever. You know, it doesn't it's not it doesn't affect you emotionally so much, which is useful sometimes. Yes, because like I think that as an artist, you're always going to encounter people who either don't understand what you're doing or don't like what you're doing or both. <laughs> yeah. And that's, it's totally, it's totally fine. So it's just, it's nice to have a little bulwarks around your emotions. That way it doesn't, you don't let it affect you too much, you know, as long as you, you can keep, keep, keep forging ahead with things. Yeah. Would you say, are there any consistent traits across your artistic identities or does it change each time you shift identity? Uh, hilariously enough, like, I think one of the the main things with me is that I struggle to find an identity and I always have. Hmm. So like when I'm, you know, I'd be like, are you uh, a, a rock musician or are you into musical theater? I'd be like, uh, yes and yes. You know? <laughs> so it's really hard to, it's always, you know, and it, other th a plethora of things about my life are like kind of difficult to pigeonhole. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that. You know, it's not like I need, I don't really need to have to define myself as a certain thing. And in a way that's now my identity, I guess, even though it, it's kind of a paradox. It's like a it's like, identity. Yeah, I don't, I can write it. You know, if I want to put out a folk song, I'll put out a folk song. If I want to put out a heavier emo, screamo, whatever song, I'll do that, you know? And so I don't have an identity sonically. and in terms of like my own life outside of music, like it's pretty nebulous as well. And that's kind of 
that's kind of my thing, <laughs> which is weird because <laughs> for a lot of people, their identity is so important to them. And I, I get that. It's like really, a, that's, that's what we tell ourselves we are and that's who we are. And that's really one of the most important things in your life. Uh, for me, I don't have that. And so it's like the fact that I don't have that is mm-hmm. kind of, that's my identity. You know, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I guess I know that doesn't make sense to a lot of people, but maybe there's a small part of people that that does make sense too. So, well, and our identity is usually the story that we tell ourselves about ourselves. Yeah, and my story that I tell myself is just made up stories that I created in my head, and so there, none of them are really real. They're just like what I've chosen to do in my life or different paths I've taken um and so I guess it's kind of just like choose your own adventure for me what are some of the stories that have appealed to you lately like when you've been writing uh I you know in the latest song I put out I was trying to get into the point of view of an animal um because that's like a new idea for me where it's like normally if I'm writing a narrative it's like from the point of view of a person Mm-hmm. You know, that person has their own identity in the lyric. But for an animal, you know, it's kind of you're superimposing like human thoughts into them, which is a little bit weird. Um, I guess you have to really to make that kind of a songwriting approach work. But that's kind of like something I was trying to do from like a comical angle in the last song I put out. What animal were you? An orca. Wow. <laughs> I'm so glad that you immediately had an answer to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like, like one verse about, it's like, I'm an orca and talking about uh, being a recovering alcoholic as an orca, but in this context, like alcohol is oil. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's basically like an environmentalist song. It's just like a comical little verse, but um. I don't know. I thought it was like a fun challenge to try to write a, a a bit of lyrics from like the point of view of an animal. That was fun. I saw a tweet recently that was like that secretly there's whales out there being like, oh man, like one of those humans sampled my like super sad breakup call and now they're using it in one of their songs <laughs> to like give someone a massage. <laughs> See, call the lawyer. Got yeah. <laughs> copyright infringement good thing animals don't have lawyers they we would be screwed like can you imagine like actually knowing what the orcas were communicating in their whale songs that we use in like spas they could be like complaining about who knows what and we'd be like "Mm, thanks for getting that knot out of my shoulder (laughs) yeah (sighs) that's fascinating though that you're one of the very few people that I've talked to about the nature of identity as being something like that you create in the moment and that you're not necessarily attached to a static sense of identity. Yeah, I guess that's what I wanted to convey because I know a lot of people and I know that's that's a theme and, and, and that's very important, especially nowadays. Um, but yeah, for me, it's, it's, it's something that I kind of create on the fly. And it's like if one night I want to feel, be somebody, I'll be that person. And if the next day I want to be that person, I'll be that person. I'll just, you know, it's kind of, sometimes it's acting, I guess, but it's also still a choice for me a lot. Um, I mean, certain things about my, me are not a choice. Certain things are definitely who I am and 
you know, that is, that's, there are identity parts of me for sure. Um, it's not like, you know, there's just, I guess, I guess it's like maybe a little bit of a different breakdown than most people. Mm. But, I was um, going to say it sounds like a bigger piece of the pie as opposed to like, yeah, the pie. yeah, you know what I mean? So I think, I think that's okay too. You know, it's just, everybody's a bit different and you know, it's, it's just why, why we are all individuals, I guess. Well, and it's weird because during this time, I've talked to a lot of people about how isolation has essentially redefined their identity because a lot of the things that we hinge our identity on are like external markers, whereas yeah. it sounds like you're pretty intent on almost like hard restarting your identity frequently. Well, I'm all, you know, I think earlier in my life, I was always trying to figure out like who I am mm -hmm. and there's nothing I ever figured out about that. Like there's no conclusion I ever reached where it was like, I, I'm a human, I'm alive. I, those things I'm fairly confident about um, and everything else. I'm not really sure. Yeah. I guess I've just, <laughs> just, and I kind of just stopped trying to figure stuff out and I just kind of just embrace whatever, whatever I feel like. Well, and especially when you were talking about like touring around and really embodying different people's experiences in your art by essentially talking to them and empathizing with their experience. Like I know that empathy is sometimes a controversial topic because people are like, well, there's cognitive empathy and affective empathy. But in a way it's like, if you're not as attached to a static idea of your identity, that seems like it would actually make it a lot easier to like embody other people's stories and understand their stories and then write from their point of view. Totally. Totally. I, I, I think that's, that's definitely a truth I've found. You know, if you're an author or a songwriter or, or a film director, or like a storyteller in general, it's unfortunate, but sometimes those types of people will kind of make themselves an empty vessel in order mm -hmm. to kind of carry other people's stories through them as like you're the medium of the storyteller. Mm -hmm. That's something I've unfortunately, you know, ha been like at different points in my life. And, it, it, you know, you when you get a second and you're not in that moment of like being the vessel, you realize it's like, there's nothing there. You're kind of just mm -hmm. like empty. And that's, that's kind of scary. You don't want to, it's cool for a while, but you don't want to be that your whole life. Um, so I guess I, the, the thing with now with me, with, with the music is like, it's my way of communicating with people. Mm -hmm. um, it's always been a struggle for me to communicate my emotions or just things that I feel about the world in general. I'm better at it now than I was when I was younger. Mm -hmm. But even if I'm playing a show or on tour, um, that's my way of communicating with people. And, and I think that's my way of making friends. Like that's my whole social circle now are just people I know through music. And, and in a way I've created an identity to, in order to, um, you know, I've, I've made this person in order to create an infrastructure so that I could have meaning and, you know, have friends even. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that's sad, <laughs> that's sad, but it's like, instead of actually just going and making friends like normal people do, like, let me go to the coffee shop and like talk to somebody. I can't, I couldn't possibly do that for whatever reason. <laughs> so instead I'll just create this like random character on the internet <gasps> songs for the sole purpose of like trying to have a few friends at the end oh. of the day like, 
kind of kind of ridiculous, but whatever. I mean, I'm laughing because, like, I mean, that is how I met you. Yeah. Well, at a show. Yeah. Yeah. So. I'm like, it worked. I I don't even know how I found you originally on the internet. Like, I fell down an internet rabbit hole, um, and I was like, wow, this person makes really interesting music. They look lightly unhinged. I like that in a person. Um, yeah, and- all those all those things are true. <laughs> I was like, oh, they're playing in LA. I should go see them. <laughs> like that, that was literally what I based my decisions on. Um, I'm like, you look unusual. Excellent. We will probably get along. It will be very awkward for three to five sessions of meeting each other. And then it'll be great. <laughs> yeah. So now, you know, it's like, it's, it's not just the person that's going to see the musician that's like, looking to connect musically it's like the actual the person on stage is that's part of what they're doing too yeah a lot of times yeah we need that too and that's like one of the ways i mean you know you're a musician like you you come at it from that angle as well so yeah that's that's part of the deal i think there's like (laughs) at least i've encountered this i don't know if you have but like this kind of mythology around musicians and around creators in general that it's like that either we have an easier time connecting or like we have this preternatural sense of like knowing people or understanding people, all sorts of that. But like at, at the end of the day, we're, we're just kind of confused orcas. Yeah. I, it's different for everybody. Some people are like, I mean, I don't think you can lump all musicians. Some musicians are like full on predators, you know, and they're on stage like ma- manipulating, you know, purposefully manipulating people's emotions, which we all know how to do as musicians. Like, that's kind of a scary thing, but like after, if you play enough shows, you get really good at manipulating how you want people to feel. And so that's a danger, you know, to be, be a little bit careful with in your day-to-day life. Um, but yeah, everybody does it for different reasons at the end of the day. Some people just want attention. Some people do it for therapy. Some people try to connect with people. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of reasons to want to be a musician. That is really valid. I hadn't thought about it from that angle of like, especially the difference between writing music and putting it out on the internet, like recording and all of that versus actually playing live. And like you said, there's that important element of, in a way, controlling other people's emotions, like you're creating the emotional tenor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that can happen with recorded music as well. But yeah, if, if, I mean, yeah, that's a thing for sure. That's the thing. I mean, do you find that you have the same sense of connection with people when you're putting out recorded music as when you're touring? Or do you feel like really a qualitative difference? I guess like, how are you feeling? Because this year, I mean, obviously no one's touring. <laughs> um, right. No, I liked, I mean, putting out music on the internet is okay. You know, I don't really, <clears throat> it's not really fulfilling because it's not, you know, unless there's a t- ton of people reacting to it. <clears throat> it does feel like kind of screaming into the void a little bit most of the time, mm-hmm. you know, where it's just mm-hmm. like put your thing out in the universe and, you know, maybe a few new people will hear it, but it's really a struggle most of the time. Um, and it's the same playing live sometimes, but at least playing live, there's always this like crazy challenge where it's like, okay, <clears throat> there's like a 60 year old biker at the bar. I'm going to see if I can like make him get into my music you know, and like, that's a huge challenge, you know, but it, it, it's kind of, it's kind of fun, you know, you know, there, cause at the show, there might be like people that would have never heard your stuff on the internet, you know? Right. Um, so, and so that, that's kind of a fun element to it where there might be a bunch of old people there, or there might be, 
you know, the crowd might be like 98% Republican. And it's like these types of people might not normally listen to my music on, on the internet. So like, let me see how this plays. And, you know, do these songs still speak to them in different ways? Are they getting different things from the song? Yeah. Cause that's, it's strange because music when it's recorded, like everyone can have like their individual experience with it. And in a way, like I love that both as a musician and as a music consumer where it's like, I sometimes will have very personal relationships with recorded songs, um, but it's very different than live because then you can feel that like energetic exchange and it's like either you lock in or you don't. And as a performer, it's sometimes really, it's, it's like walking a tightrope where when you can feel that disconnect and you're like, Ooh, how do I bridge that? Like, how, how do I get there? Um, and then when you feel it lock in, you're like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it was a struggle for me, like just starting out the first twenty or thirty shows I played. Uh, Baby Fuzz was a struggle to it's kind hard. of find, yeah, find like what the dynamic is. And I think ultimately I went kind of like the dark comedy route with the whole persona, where it's like a clown show kind of. Um, and occasionally there's moments of truth in there, but they're they're kind of like shrouded in these dark comedy bits and and moments. And I think mm-hmm. that kind of that that kind of like allows it to be a little more palpable for like a broader audience i guess live i mean and when you were touring were you touring solo or were you touring with your band i think most of the tour was solo so like the first i think maybe you've you've seen me as the band before and that those were like early days of baby fuzz shows so like mm-hmm. was playing some shows with the band and it's kind of just like a little rock and roll show it's nothing crazy as the shows went on that year um and you know playing in uh, you know, Mo- Mobile, Alabama, and mm-hmm. you know, the middle of nowhere in the Midwest, like s- over a hundred shows. It sl- it very quickly turned into like a dark comedy show as opposed to like a music show, where That's it was like yeah, self-deprecating humor, and it it, it turned into a character really quickly. Wow. You kind of like in in the in the mold of Father John Misty or a Bo, uh-huh. Bur- Bo Burnham uh-huh. or somebody like that, like. And that's kind of informed like my most recent album and writing um, from last year. So it's like it evolved. I think it evolves so quickly once you get out on the road, like who you're, who you turn into, uh, who the persona turns into. That's fascinating because I was like, oh my god, I wish I'd seen one of those shows. Because yeah, I saw you. Where was I? It might have been at the Hotel Cafe question yeah yeah okay yeah yeah i think (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. i remember that of course yeah that was kind of kind of like yeah i had this band and just playing trying to get through the songs and like make them sound decent like that was the goal at that point and like yeah by the end of that year it was like there was like a rave built into the show like a 15 (laughs) rave and there was like a tv preacher guy who would come out as me like it turned into a, a weird variety show um because it was just getting so difficult to get people's attention by just like playing my songs and singing them right people were checked out so i would just like do crazy shit in the show to try to get people to like respond in any way wow. and it kind of just turned into this has turned into this thing uh, i'm really i really want to do some more shows like i have so many cool things for the for the live show now like i have this big projector screen and this weird digital mask and 
I have like a script almost for like the whole show, but mm -hmm. I haven't been able to really do it yet. Is hopefully, it next, hopefully my next summer. I was gonna say like by next summer, and also I don't know if it would work as like a live stream, but bleh, a live stream because a lot of it seems to be predicated on like the energy of the audience around you. Yeah, it, it, it's most of it will be like ad lib, so it's yeah, and and like the streaming format is a little tricky for me because some of I have a few like digital elements in the show and they don't really yeah. tr translate on camera they kind of like flicker and do weird things when you're recording them on twitch or whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so yeah I kind of wanted it to be more of like a live experience more than anything I was gonna say yeah because like the interactive elements could work on twitch like I've been watching different twitch musicians and I I interviewed have you heard the artist Hana yeah 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 i interviewed her and that was fascinating because it was like pre-lockdown that she did her album creation on twitch and i found that just like i still like feel so anxious even thinking about that which is fascinating to me that it's like letting people watch my live production work which says to me that i probably uh, actually should do that um because it scares me um Man, mine would just be so boring. <laughs> I would just be like, it's just so, I play video games. Like I'll, I'll just, we work for like 20 minutes then I'll play video games. And I guess I could stream those too, but. I was going to say, I mean, it would literally be me in a hoodie playing a few synth lines and then spinning around in my chair and then playing a few synth lines and doing a headstand and then playing a few synth lines and texting a friend and like, it's like yeah. I work in these like little spurts but it's like what made me so anxious about it was that it's like I'd be so afraid of doing something wrong somehow when really production work like there's nothing that you can do wrong it can change at any moment you can always like choose something new it's like there's no wrong choice in a way yeah like I find like live streams in that way like it might not work with some of the technical stuff that you're doing um, but I find that so interesting about Twitch music in general and like the way that musicians interact with people on their streams is there is no, there is no wrong moment. It's all about the interaction. Like I've seen people like, you know, like talk to people in their chats and things like that and get ideas from them. Um, and it's this really dynamic relationship. And it reinforced to me that like my anxiety at least is of making a misstep or playing a wrong note or doing something incorrectly when really it's like, there is no incorrect. It's about the interaction um yeah yeah I, I think yeah for sure I mean that's a good thing to get to get out of that I mean they're kind of the idea of um missing a note or, or or you know which happens all the time to everybody right um you know I guess for me personally like uh and this is kind of outside of the twitch conversation but um one of the things I guess I did was having this like lowbrow aesthetic where where kind of if I mess up or miss a note live which is all the time because I'm not actually the best singer live um it doesn't matter because it's there's kind of like this element to my whole thing which is like bad on purpose <laughs> you know what I mean so like yes. part parts of the show will be like horrible on purpose so that like in context if I'm actually trying and I fuck something up it kind of just feeds back into the whole idea where it's like kind of silly and bad. Right. 
Um, so that's a fun little kind of safety net to have if it's like you're not taking yourself so seriously anyways. And so even if right. you do mess up, it's like cool because there's a safety net and it works in context. Whereas like it's much more difficult if you're an artist who is like very intensely and seriously like playing a dark folk song or like something very um, without any um, kind of comedic elements at all because mm -hmm. then if you do mess mm -hmm. up it's like the expectation is it's supposed to be like it, it kind of breaks character it's, or it breaks yeah. the, the curtain a little bit for the listener um so i found just as like a personal tool i've done more of like lowbrow stuff just to help me out and give myself a little wiggle room there well and that also it's interesting you bring that up because it popped in my brain that like in some ways we allow masculine presenting performers kind of more leeway in that way like there's allowed to be that like dark comedic element and like female and like femme presenting performers in a way we sometimes hold them to different expectations yeah i, I guess maybe there's just not as much of a i think we do that but I, there's also not as much of a precedent um for female performers having yeah. comedic elements you think about Joni mitchell's and historically like even like back to cabaret days and Al Jolson or whoever you want to talk about. And I mean, those are horrible examples, but um, the female performer in general, I don't feel like there's as many examples historically as like, especially with music of, of, of like comic, you know, with whales, you could, there's so many Frank Zappa. Is, yeah. So, or, or even meatloaf or like weird owl or there's so many throughout the years um and it's just hard to really you know now I, there's more now than there's ever been for sure but even even now there's not as many uh female identifying performers who are like in that realm yeah because i i remember seeing like um, when I was a teenager in news that will shock like literally no one um I love Tori Amos <laughs> like spoiler alert uh the woman who grew up to play piano um and talk about feelings like Tori Amos um but uh I really liked that in concert she would like she would tell stories between her songs and she was like goofy and weird and like fun and I really enjoyed that because like my favorite thing about Tori was not so much like the fandom like when people are like oh she's a goddess oh she's this and it's like for me I'm a big music theory geek so like I loved her music um mm -hmm. and like I loved the emotions that she's that that she spoke to obviously but it's like I liked that in concert like yes she was a phenomenal performer and like I mean I've seen her mess up a few times but it's like otherwise like relatively flawless um but especially in between songs she was a like she was very personable and she was funny and like it was like oh you can be a person yeah the um, rapport the rapport yeah. I, I remember Ingrid, Ingrid Michelson was this another artist who had this like amazing in between song rapport and still does where yeah. it's like full-on comedy in between the songs but then the, she'll play the songs and it's like super emotional ballads and it's super heavy stuff yeah like very I, similar I admire that a lot because I think that like as female performers, sometimes um, people perceive us as like almost being like supernatural or superhuman. And yes, you do want to channel some of that because it's very powerful. Um, but I think about then like if you are funny, it doesn't take away from that. Like I think about, um, have you watched Crazy Ex-Girlfriend or seen anything that Rachel Bloom has done? Uh, probably not. I don't watch a lot of shows. 
but I don't think I've seen that. I'm not a big watcher of things because I have difficulty with passive media. Like I just wander away. Um, but like this actually really held my attention <laughs> because it was so cleverly done. But it's really interesting because she's an amazing songwriter, musician, performer, like all of that. Mm. But so many people discount it because she's funny. And it's like, uh, right, cool. like that's right. what makes it like amazing. And I'm just like, wait, why is there that disconnect that like, if you're funny, it's not. And like, it sounds like with yours, it's really interesting because it's working almost in the opposite, like sneaky route. Like it's like, you're kind of disarming people because you are really funny, but you're also like mad talented. I, yeah, I guess disarming people is nice because then it lets their guard down. Once you laugh, then that opens you up to other things where, you know, okay, if I can laugh at somebody's jokes then I will be more likely to listen to what they have to say about something in life. Or maybe, you know, if they say something about the environment, I'm not going to get offended and walk out. You right. know, just be like, oh, that's your point of view. I disagree, which is okay with me. You know, if, as, if they can laugh first, <clears throat> then I can get at them with other stuff. Um, right. You know, and you're disarming people. And I think laughter is a really good tool for that. Um, I guess, yeah. Well, it's like you're building rapport with people. I think that that's so fascinating to use performance as rapport building so you can talk about different things in your songs. Yeah, yeah. I guess, like, I don't know. The comedy is also, like, it's hiding. It's hiding, like, other, you know, other things. But I think it's, I think it's like, a fun angle to go, go with for sure. I'm like, I want to see your updated show. I was like, that's really funny that I was around for, and I didn't know that until like you were just saying that, that I didn't know. Yeah, that I would do it on Twitch, but I don't feel like it's the correct medium for what I yeah. want to do. I also like Twitch is owned by Amazon. And I, I feel like the actual show that I want to manifest, and I don't know if I ever fully will be able to achieve what I want to do is like this complete punk vision of um, kind of, this like variety show cabaret situation and then i'll you know play my own songs within that just because that's what i have to play but the like, kind of like a moving storyline or a theater piece mm -hmm. or something like bordering into performance art um that sounds so pre pretentious sorry <laughs> but uh, <sighs> <yeah>. <laughs> i'm like and it is and it is pretentious it is pretentious. awesome it can be what, it's just what happens when you have you know eight months in quarantine and there's nothing else to do or think about you come up with these stupid ideas but hey i mean okay. <laughs> it, the context of like the, sh the idea though is not in a big festival or not to like 500 people because i still don't think that's ever going to happen for me i just think it's going to be in a bar with like 10 people or a coffee shop or like a community center VFW. Like I want to do something with like lasers and visual effects, like the kind of production value you would see at a EDM festival at a local coffee shop. <laughs> like that's amazing. And, yeah. Like in, in imagine just like walking into, into that setting and somebody has like these crazy costumes and like this digital effects going everywhere and you're like what the fuck is happening <laughs> like it would it would change people's lives you know on a really micro level people would be talking about it for like months afterwards in their local communities so i feel like th that kind of a scale a, a huge scale in a really small room would be really i love cool. that i love that and what you're talking about that kind of interaction 
is like, it's not quite one-on-one, but it's close. And those interactions are actually way more effective. Like, I remember the small shows, and it's strange to call them small. I don't know what to call them, like intimate shows. Yeah. Um, I remember those so much more clearly, usually, than the bigger shows that I've been to. Like, there is something to be said for, like, the collective energy of, like, a large show or a festival show, but there's something that, um, for me at least, resonates more at an intimate show. Yeah, intimate shows are terrifying. Like, they're uh, playing a larger show is much easier. Yeah, um, definitely. But at an intimate show, it's like you have to win over the crowd, and there's not as many of them. Uh, not as many of them. So if you can't win them over, you're you're truly screwed. Like you need to be. You know, it's just like you're, there's less numbers there, um, so it's more difficult. Well, and you have to forge a connection, which then like would make the audience actually probably remember it better because they did feel that connection. Whereas at a big show, it's like a spectacle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and plus the smaller show, it's just easier to hear like all your mistakes and it's easier to see your kind of like insincerities and what's not working. It's just, um, it's more difficult. It's more difficult for me at least. Definitely. Small, yeah. But I mean, I was doing a lot of these, the so far shows last year. Oh yeah. Um, just cause like they were not really because they were getting me a lot of fans necessarily, but because they were good, um, kind of practice in trying to win people over because a lot of people who go to the shows are like nine to five types, young professionals who mm-hmm. are into like mm-hmm. Jason Mraz or who, you know, it's, John Mayer, whoever, you know, good musicians, but kind of like expected mainstream right. people. And so like the the exercise was like, can I find a way to connect to these people with my music and you know, how to how to make that happen? Um and you know, musically it's unsuccessfully, but it was a <laughs> it was a fun, you know, kind of a fun thing to try well it's that odd dichotomy of like like finding your community versus kind of like jumping people into your community (laughs) yeah yeah sometimes you just don't have a community you have to just make it on your own you know and you have to create the whole thing you have to create the, the community too um i think iconic artists have done that through the years like lady gaga and madonna the Beals, like they kind of create their own world, world building a bit. And then, you know, you're a Beatles fan or you're, uh, then you identify your, their fans identify themselves based on like their fandom of the world that that artist has created a bit. Right. Right. Cool. Fandom is fascinating to me. Like when I was thinking about like the Tory fandom and things like that, like it was very, did you like stan any artists currently? Are you really like it's are it's, are you a fan like a mega fan of anybody? Um, it's really strange because part of neurodivergence like usually really does uh tap into like fandom and, and standing and all of that. And I realized that like I have a really hard time standing people as concepts. Um, but there are certain things that like I'll get super into and I don't know if it's the same like with Tori I was never into the cult of personality of Tori 
but I was obsessed with her music. No, so that is, oh yeah, standing meaning like, yeah, yeah, going on the internet and flaming people because they leave a bad review. That's not good. No, yeah, like, that's the thing yeah. is I never, I never yeah. related to that side of it. The only times that I think I ever got mad, it was a college professor of mine, but we got to talking about music and he's like, well, I don't really like Tori. And I was just like, well, why not? And he's like, well, all she writes about is rape. And I was like, that's weird. Yeah. I was like, I was really taken aback. And what I said to him, I was just like, well, can you quote me some of her song lyrics that speak to her experience of rape? Because there are several songs that do speak of that, but she really talks about a lot of other subjects. And he, he sat there for a second and he's like, yeah, I, I don't know which of her song lyrics come to mind. And <laughs> it's kind of an asshole move. He was a philosophy professor, but I just looked at him and I was like, Wow, it looks like you don't really have a lot of evidence to support your argument there. Even if he did have a lot of evidence to support his argument, why should that be a deal breaker for listening to her music? Uh-huh. That was the yeah, thing that like, entered my young mind like maybe yeah. two days after that. Um, that I was just like, why would it be a bad thing actually to sing about the effects of rape? Um Or maybe, you know, <laughs> that's her experience in life because like Rape is yeah. basically out of control in our uh -huh. society and not prosecuted ever. And just people, you know, so it's like <clears throat> pretty, pretty telling on your philosophy professor there. Yeah, literally, like, it's so strange because I think about that incident so much, like, looking back on it, that, like, each, each time I think about it, it reveals a whole new layer of, oh, no, um, of, like, yeah, why would it be bad to call attention to rape culture? Um but it's like, I remember feeling in that moment, like, it's okay to not like something, but like, if you don't like it based on a completely false premise that you have that's based on like something that doesn't actually have to do with the art, then I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, do you, have you engaged with this work at all? Because like, if you've engaged with it and you don't like it, like, okay. Um, yeah, I'd rather have it be something more surface level, like it's too whiny or it's too it's it's too slow or whatever yeah, you know yeah, when, yeah you're, you're kind of criticizing like what people are singing about that's a little little weird yeah i was like that's really strange but like i've never related to like like the culture of people online like you were saying that like um like one of my friends is an autism advocate and they've been getting uh, like CS stands attacking their Twitter account and they have like maybe like 200 followers but like CS stands are finding them and like basically just telling them they're a terrible person like things like that like there are parts of stand culture that like I genuinely I don't understand but I do understand the like intense hyper focus on someone's work in a way and I get yeah. super into it <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know is there anybody that you feel that way about or any art that you like not stand in the toxic way but like stand in the like, really super hyped about way I don't think I've ever stand anybody like in a toxic way maybe I don't remember if I did but um yeah there's people I get excited about usually like a few of them every year um I guess like Dorian and Electra would be the current one Oh my God, Dorian Electra is amazing. I mean, it's just really, really good. It's really important, like the whole, everything. The, the latest album is really an important album. I just feel like people are sleeping on it a little bit in terms of like how good it is. Um, sonically, it's like, maybe it's not for everybody because it's pretty heavy, but <clears throat> I think it's really cool. 
Um, yeah, that's probably the one from this year that I'm into where it's like, that's, that's kind of like an alter ego artist where mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they've, they've created this, this whole world and then kind of like multiple characters within that world as well. Yes. That's what I find fascinating about. Like, I, I think I found them on Insta. It was around the era of career boy. Career boy. Yeah. That's still, <laughs> my, still my favorite song. It's so catchy. So good. I, oh I really like your like very sugary pop songs. The newest kind of like Gex sounding stuff is actually like lyrically way better and more important. But sonically, I prefer kind of the sugar, the sugary, like silly. Yes. Dr. Luke sounding stuff. I like Career Boy and Flamboyant. I loved as well. Yeah. Same. I yeah. think those were my two favorite as well. Because I feel similarly where it's like um, their aesthetic and visual choices are like definitely what drew me in um, and I find fascinating. Um, I agree with you though that there's something about, um, there's certain vocal modulations that like for whatever reason, even though I find them sonically interesting, I find them also sensorially slightly grating and so it's sometimes hard for me to listen to them. Yeah, it's not that the new album... Uh, it's not the easiest album to listen to, although it's not like unlistenable. It's definitely like you can listen it down and, and multiple times. It's fine. <clears throat> but yeah, it's, it's it definitely kind of like with all the modulations and effects, um, it's definitely kind of like industrial metallic yeah. kind of sounding. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, I think I'm, I'm into that. I kind of, it kind of reminds me of like, um kind of like electronic emo from the late 2000s uh, it's kind of this kind of a sound there that's like um, resuscitated a little bit that was actually a first wave of it like back in the day with like mm-hmm. very early laptop producers kind of sound yes like, yes which i very vividly remember kind of like myspace era sound and oh that's definitely God. like kind of something that's coming that's already has revived basically um, and so it's kind of, yeah, it's not for everybody though, for sure. I, I do like the career boy. <laughs> That's oh the God. one. The video is so good. <laughs> I'm just like reliving the scenes in my head and I'm like, yeah, it's excellent. No, I've been listening. I would say like this year, it's funny. I realized that like the, the music I've been listening to this year in some ways, some of it does deal with identity and some deals with almost like anonymity. Now that mm. I think about it. Mm. In a way, like the identity albums, in, in, I mean, it's maybe I'm not saying this right, but I think in a way they're anonymous as well, if you think about it, because it's not like, here I am, I'm trying to get famous, you know, it's, yeah. this is me, <laughs> take it to the top. They're, you know, they're like characters. The, the character is like trying to, you know, is like the pop star. Yeah. So I think like in a way they're an anonymous kind of album as well where it's like I think we are getting away from this kind of you know me first kind of way of thinking about things and I don't know I think I think they're also parodies many of them yeah the Dorian Electra it's like complete parody I mean not complete but a lot of it is um so it, it I think it does feel um like I don't know who they are as a person like that that part is anonymous to me like I really don't know and like that's okay 
And I think that in a way that's valuable in kind of where we are and especially like the social media landscape that I was talking with another creator about how people form one-way relationships with you. Like when you are a content creator in a way, um, yeah. and that is even like a weird pretentious thing to say, like, I'm a content creator. Um, but when you put media out, it's like it does emotionally resonate with people. However, those resonances in some ways only only go one direction. Yeah. And so it's like people will think that they know you and it's like, yes, they know like an aspect of you. Um, but you're, you know, you can't, you're, know you're, they only, know, they only know what you're letting them see. And yeah. that's very, that's very controlled. Like what we put out there. It's like, yeah. I'm obviously not going to put the fact that I pick my nose all the time onto the internet. So <laughs> you're not going to see that. Unfortunately, you won't know that about me uh, for the best, uh, obviously, but, um, you'll just know the cool parts, you know, the parts yeah. that I, I want to project myself as. Or even the vulnerabilities that we see as like relatable or like appealing or that we do feel like showing. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you just got to be careful if you're like you are putting stuff out there and you're you're doing it to to make people relate to that. And because if you, it, it can be like um, obvious sometimes if you're just doing that to to be relatable and it becomes right. like a, a pitfall a bit. Right. Yes. It's, yeah, I don't know if you've been on TikTok. I feel like I'm talking about like media a lot because I'm like, oh, we're inside. <laughs> we're all indoor kids now. Um, but so much of TikTok, it's fascinating to see that like a lot of the comments are always like, OMG, same. Like, I didn't know that someone else did that too. <laughs> like, <laughs> just people doing like mundane, silly things. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. I'm I'm just a consumer on TikTok, really. It's like I haven't, I don't using the platform and creating on it is like another level that I haven't really been able to figure out yet. Um, which is great. I can just like passively, you know, scroll and find cool people doing weird things, and that's fun. I find it very relaxing because it reminds me of like old internet like kind of like the chaotic good internet where people were just like doing weird things for no reason <laughs> yeah yeah it's true. it's true you know what's cool about it is like i mean okay yeah it's a you know chinese company whatever the whole thing you know but that aside it's not as commercialized as other social media so yeah i mean it will be in about three months probably but like it's not as like there's not there are ads and stuff but it's the way they've designed the platform is feels less consumeristic than like the facebook and twitter and oh yeah it's so funny because i think about some of the conversations that i've had even especially actually this year that would have made absolutely no sense five to ten years ago like that people would have been like i'm sorry i don't know what you're talking about yeah, I mean that spreading of spreading of ideas is very rapid now with thanks to all these platforms. They're all ultimately like a really good thing, I think generally. Um just for like understanding people's points of view. Yeah. And like where they're coming from. I do agree. I mean, hey, it brought me to your show. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then and then when I've been basically inside my house this whole year, like making podcasts, your publicist is like, hey. And I was like, hey, that's my friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they're fun, the podcasts. I'm getting into them. You know, it's I never really did any before this year. And it's just <clears throat> Talking to somebody like in person is way better than trying to conduct some kind of interview over a blog or whatever, because it, it yeah, it's just better. You get yeah. I mean, it, it spiraled like this year. It was definitely not my plan. I had started this on a whim because I was like, hey, I'm a musician and a therapist. That's weird. I wonder if there's other people who do multiple things. I guess I should talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you're, you're very good at it. You're very good at it. Very, you are very good at conversation. I will, I, I think there was a moment at the show where like we were talking and it was like, suddenly it was like 15 minutes had gone by and I was like, Hey, by the way, I have to go play a song now. <laughs> the rest of the band was like on stage. Like, where, where are you, bro? Like we're supposed I'm to. So sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's totally, I'm, I'm, I'm joking a bit, but yeah, you're really good at talk, talking. So I think this is a good you know, it's really, you're getting, getting things out of people uh, in Thank a conversation, conversation, <laughs> not, not like manipulating, but uh, just like conversationally, it's good. So I think hey, you got something going here. It's good. I appreciate that. Good project. Thanks. Yeah. It's been really fun. Like it's been cool hearing what you've been up to. Cause yeah, like this definitely surprised me that this became one of my like um, main quarantine projects. It was uh, a pleasant surprise. It's, cool. it's so cool. Yeah. It gets to connect with people and keep in touch with everybody yeah oh my god thank you so much for being so generous with your time yeah thanks for having me <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm i'm sitting in florida there's there's not a lot going on here i mean That's might go on a might walk through the woods tomorrow and take a look, been... take a look, look for some alligators but uh that's a bold move. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode. Thank you.